This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. Cade Massey this morning with my collaborator, Shane Jensen, Adi Weiner. You can join the conversation. Give us a shout, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or email us, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at WMoneyBall, at WMoneyBall. Give us a question. Give us an observation. Give us an over-under. We'll do over-under at the end of the show if you want to use. We, we do use them sometimes from you guys, so feel free to jump in. Just off the phone with Jeff Cedar, our regular guest, Derby Week. Love talking to Jeff Cedar. Always want to talk to Jeff Cedar. He can get a little worked up, which is we can, delightful. Yeah, we could give him another spot during the year. We, can, we should do another spot. We do the second, second half hour with Jeff somewhere down the road. A recap of the end, end of no, the Triple I'm, Crown I'm not season. opposed. I'm not opposed. In the next half hour, delighted to welcome into the studio even Namita Nandakumar. Namita is a graduating senior from here at the University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School. The Wharton School? The Wharton School, no less. And interesting to us for so many reasons. Shane's been talking about her for a long time as this great student he has. And she, I think she began her work mostly on the hockey world, but she's going, she's been working in the NFL and she's, she's one of these people who has a job that other students are jealous of. She's going to go to work full-time for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles, sometime this summer after she gets a little time off, I hope. Namita, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you, and, and especially it's always fun to have this, the guest in, in studio. And congrats on wrapping up what has been a four-year journey here. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel like this is the culmination of that, That's being right. on this That's right. radio show. <laughs> it, is, it is the height. It's all, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Well, we should do that. The prize of the best stat student each year gets well, half an yeah, hour on our show. Namita has some impressive credentials. She was the, the president of the Stat Society, All right. undergraduate Stat Society. We can't forget that. No, that's good. <laughs> that's great. I'm not sure which is more impressive, that or the job with the Eagles. That's it's it's a, a toss-up. Toss up. I don't it know. is absolutely a toss-up. So uh, we're, we want to hear more about the Eagles. I understand you're not going to be able to say much about it. But let, tell us first about how you got going in this world of sports analytics and, and, and why hockey was your starting place. Sure. So, I mean, it's actually funny because uh, I think people sort of knew me as this hockey person. But when I started out, I was deciding on a topic for basically a research project. Um, and there was no like specific reason or, or really compelling reason that it had to be hockey. Uh, but I am absolutely obsessed with the draft. Um, and I think the drafts that you can sort of say the most interesting strategic things about happen to be the NHL draft and the NFL draft, just because the length, seven rounds, very conducive to finding sort of value late. Um, but it's not to the extent of like baseball, where it's like a billion rounds and like we've all probably it's been 40. drafted. <laughs> we've all probably been drafted by an MLB right. team. <laughs> so, like, Unbeknownst to us. Right? Yeah. Um, so I, it, was, it was in between those, and, and I kind of had an idea for a project while I was watching the NHL draft, which is actually not a thing that I usually did, but for some reason I had it on like a couple of years ago. Um, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. What was the idea? So the Bruins had the, the 13th, 14th, and 15th picks um, in the 2015 draft. 
and they had made a series of selections that were sort of widely panned, even though one of them, Jake Brusque, is like playing very well right now. Um, but people were saying like, oh, they should have gone with the guys that like everyone had as like who should go at those picks. So guys like Maddie Barzell and like even Travis Konechny, who's a, a flyer right now. And I was kind of thinking, it was like, okay, so, but what if these guys turn out to be like diamonds in the rough, like undiscovered gems? Does that make what the Bruins did really compelling and, and great? And then one thing struck me, which was that I think the, the last pick, the 15th overall, was used on a guy, Zach Seneshin, who was widely thought to go in like the second round um, or maybe even the third. And also that the Bruins had had an early second in that year. And I was like, isn't that the decision then? Even if you think that he is going to be the best player um, that you've ever seen, if you can get him with that early second, why wouldn't you? So wait, so don't don't yeah. reach. Why, why, why jump early for a yeah. guy? Basically it, all about projecting whether or not a player will fall to whatever your next pick is as right. opposed to picking him right now. Yes. Right. So there's, there's a huge dynamic in drafts and something people talk about a lot. I've, I've always, I feel like analysts... Are, are, it's easy to criticize that from the sidelines because it's a real risk for an organization mm-hmm. who might think highly of a player to, 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 to basically take the chance that no one else is going to think as highly of them. Yeah, um, it's definitely, I, I think, a, a risky kind of position to take. And actually, um, you know, it, it's like my sort of foundational work that I'm like trying to build a lot of stuff off of. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking, I was like, all right, like this sounds really cool. Um, and there are ways that you can try to project like who's going to be available when. Uh, but will I ever get hired by a team if what I'm proposing is so like inherently risky and, mm-hmm. and so like possibly you could mm-hmm. lose your job for mm-hmm. it type mm-hmm. of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, that <laughs> worked out. <laughs> well, wait, wait until they start using it and then, yeah. then you're at real risk. The, one of the challenges with that particular issue is that. You, you you only get feedback in one direction essentially. Yeah. That and it's it's a real problem with learning. It's teams kind of don't learn their way out of this problem because mm-hmm. what they know is if they if they wait and they're wrong, then someone they lose the player. They 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 learn the fact that they're wrong. They never learn the fact that they're right. Why not? I mean, if they if it's a risky maneuver, you'd think that learning it correctly would be something that they would observe. Yeah, there's. I've completely lost my thread here. I'm going to come back. But to I it. mean, there there is an issue with like if you take a guy, you're you're not sure, you know, how much longer he would have been available, right? So you do yeah. lose that information. Mm-hmm. It's censored in that way. Yeah. But you're but you're proposing essentially to not jump on a player because you expect them to be around still when you have the next chance. Yeah. And that sounds a little bit has a little risky component to it and a risky forecast are the ones that are that, that produce information right yeah. so that's and they should produce some information i mean i think i i think kind of part of the really interesting part about this this work is it just introduced a different dimension to yeah. to your an extra dimension to your analysis i mean you know if you didn't sort of take this into account, you could literally just go into the NFL draft with a ranked list of your player. The player you you've got right. all the players ranked according to how much you want them, and you just you know when go your slot comes up, you're like you cross off names, and when your slot comes up, um, you you just take. Well, the this best is exactly player. the criticism the Browns got for right. taking their cornerback when everyone thought Chubb was the better player. If yeah. they really wanted the cornerback, fine, but you could trade back a few spots. Pick That's up right. something extra and still get your guy. Yeah, so I mean, right. by taking into account the preferences of other, the potential preferences of other teams, though For that's sure. not an easy modeling exercise, 
No, that's you, just so you much uncertainty. Ju- that yeah. is uncertainty because yeah. you don't know. Right. I mean, so, people, for example, people were saying, you know, they criticized the Browns again for taking Mayfield number one because everyone thought Darna was number one. And now these, you know, leaks are coming out. We don't know whether they're true or not, that other teams were actually interested in Mayfield. And so they may have been too sure they could take him with their fourth pick. Turns out he might not have been available with their fourth pick. So, Namita, um, one of the things that make the NFL draft so interesting is that there is this horse trading that happens so vigorously throughout the draft. And in baseball, it doesn't happen at all. I think that's the rules. You can't, you can't do this. Um, how about hockey? Does hockey have all this sort of? Can you, in other words, if you know that the player that you want isn't going to, no one else really wants and will be around, can you can you exchange that for value in trades? Is that that's possible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think definitely not to the extent that you see it in the NFL. Um, I, it's so funny to look at like who's owned a pick in the NFL, and it's like six teams previous to who actually gets to use it um but but there is there is that element in the nhl um to a lesser extent um which is why i think these sorts of like pick value charts are so in vogue and one of the interesting things is that this is something that that teams struggle with and i'm what i'm hearing i think namita's not gonna be able to talk about it but (laughs) i'm hearing that she's coming up with more sophisticated ways of dealing with this I mean, it's not hard to. I mean, this I have heard nothing from Namita, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> and we were talking about this with a team last weekend. Wouldn't it be nice to have a big simulation, essentially, that get, that you're updating continuously? So at any given moment, you can look at your forecast for where a player will go, or you can flip it around and ask for any given position in the draft. You can get your forecast for the players that will be available. And teams are doing some teams are doing crude versions of that now. I mean, everyone's doing some crude version of it. Some are doing more sophisticated. But I doubt anyone's doing the kind of simulation that one could do if you have information or at least are willing to speculate on team preferences. But isn't there just a decision tree that, that really is the, ultimately what you want? I mean, a, a, so all the branches and given you where you are. distribution. It's just a very right. uncertain one of what's, what the future branches yeah. are going to look like. So I actually think, I will say that I think the, the sort of simulation component for like a lot of issues, not even just the draft, is like a really helpful tool to even just like convey the findings. Um, because one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, um, relaying my findings to the public and also to my team is like, you know, how do you take this sort of probabilistic forecast when you say like 70%, 30%, 15% and actually make it real to people? And one of the ways you can do that is I think through simulation. So I'll actually give you like a really silly example. Um, so people love game probability, like playoff odds stuff, right? So saying, and so like a big thing, you know, people keep track of in the NHL is like, how likely is my team to make the playoffs? And one of the things that I actually did to really convey that, I think more intuitively was through like dice. And and I would say like, all right, if you roll, so using someone's existing uh, playoff probabilities, I'd say like, okay, if you roll like a one and then a two, that means your team is out. But if you roll like a six and then a three, that means your team is in and, and kind of modify that. And a lot of people found that sort of like simulation exercise really great because, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, your team has a 55% chance of doing this. And then, but then it doesn't happen. You're like, what's up? But everyone knows that when you like roll dice and simulate outcomes in that way, Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It, it, it's very compelling. We had Edge Analytics on the show a month or so ago, and Edge is an organization that's actually worked with the Eagles, at least according to media reports and other football teams, on in-game analytics. And what, what one of the things that they use to be more convincing 
are rich simulations of the game. And so you can sit down with the staff and say, okay, drop in your policies for fourth downs or drop in your policies for um, two-point conversions, and let's just play out the games and see how they go. And it's a much more compelling way to present your evidence than just saying, well, that's 55% versus 61%. I mean, no one's interested in 55. (laughs) Very few NFL coaches are interested in 55 versus 61. But it's often very difficult to figure out where the randomness is actually coming from. So in the endgame NFL um, strategy, you know where it is because the fourth downs could convert or they could not convert. You can hit those those passes or not. And you can understand, you see the randomness that's there and those cause you to end. But in the draft, it's whether a player turns out one way or another. And we can stand back and think of that as random, yeah. but it isn't random. It's causal. Well, we just we just don't understand it. Well, and, but, and, but, and, and this additional dimension, though, of like other teams' picks and preferences. I mean, because you're not going to well, be able to actually right. observe their models and every and their decision making process, that essentially is a random component. Uh, yeah. as and well. we deal with that as statisticians all the time, but that's a very challenging thing for the public to sort of accept because they see this almost rightly. I mean, if you had complete information, it isn't random it's anymore. Yeah. And but yet dice is no complete. You know, they roll them. And I that's feel like that. most fans have watched their NFL team make enough questionable <laughs> picks over the year that they probably regard it as somewhat of an opaque random process. Um, I think people are slow to understand randomness, especially this kind of randomness. Yeah. This, is, this is, is deep. I mean, because we have the same kind of analogy when we talk about political polls. I mean, so if, if the poll says there's a 60% chance that someone's yeah. going to win, the randomness is not in what people prefer. The randomness is in your mechanism to assess that information from the limited data you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I want to come back to this thing we were talking about on this key issue of whether they're willing to trade back and how hard it is to learn in that environment because the simulation really could help yeah. the learning. The reason you can't learn in that environment is because you only get feedback if you don't, if you trade back. If you trade back, you can be proven right or wrong. If you don't trade back, you'll never be proven wrong. And so right. you've got yeah. to sell missing. And so right. you actually can't learn that you're wrong in that environment. It's, you're kind of, I, I suspect it's one of the reasons we see so many trades because, because we, that's, that doesn't make sense. That's not an equilibrium, actually. It's one of the reasons people are reluctant to trade back because they never learn. It's hard to learn in that environment, and a simulation could address that. Yeah. I mean, so so the, the example that I gave you from a couple of years ago where you say, like, I, I think this guy that the Bruins took would have been available in the second round. I have no way of proving of that. Right. Um, it's just, you know, uh, based on sort of pre-draft rankings and, and other uh, kind of signals. We're talking to Namita Nadakumar. Namita is a graduating senior here at Penn, and we don't randomly pick graduating seniors to sit down with us. We're talking. We with never Namita. have actually. We, we've had students, but not undergraduate students. And we're talking to Namita for two reasons: one, she's been one of the outstanding stat students over the last few years, and is going to work. She's already been working as an intern for the Eagles in the NFL, and she's working to work full time when she graduates from here in just a few months. She'll be working with the Eagles. We should point out that uh, saying she's an outstanding stats student is actually a real accomplishment. Um, years ago, and Eric Bradlow was the only graduating stats student at the Wharton School of Business. And, of course, he was the outstanding one. That was in, back in 1988. We had the competition is fiercer now. For we had one graduating stat uh, major here at Wharton. We called them concentrators at the time. There was That's one, am- and it was Eric Bradlow. It's amazing that there was just one, and it's even more ridiculous that it was Eric. Really? Of course. That was right, of course. And, and today, Eric's done it all. You have to know that. Today we have uh, graduated 100 stat concentrators hey, man, and 100 business analytics majors and 50 stat minors from the University Look at Large. At and we expect that to double within the next couple of years. World's mm-hmm. coming to you, Adi. 
everybody. The world yeah, except it. So, and so we'll throw this out as an as announcement. If you have a, a, a resume for a PhD level statistician, applied statistician in particular, please send them our way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> for teaching purposes? Yeah. For teachers' yeah. purposes, yes. Yeah. I, can, I might be able to help with that. This is that, good. That, this, yeah. we, need, we need more of those folks, especially <laughs> on applied, because there's only way to, one way to learn how to do these things. That's, it's like a foreign language. You can't learn That's it right. by reading it in a book. you got to do the thing. Mm -hmm. We need more of that. Namita, on that front, what have you found most valuable in developing your, your stat skills? I mean, absolutely what you just said. I think research, yeah, if there are any sort of uh, undergrad or even high school students who might be listening to this, research is unequivocally like the best way. What do you mean by research? So, um, I mean, that can take on the form of a lot of different things. So uh, the first two years of my undergrad career, I was a research assistant um, on like actually projects that um, Eric um, interfaces with related to like customer analytics mm -hmm. um, and that helped me sort of build up the skills related to research um, some that you might expect relating to like analyzing things but also a lot of like just the ability to go get data and clean it up and mm -hmm. work with it mm -hmm. um, and then the my junior and senior years I started to be able to kind of conceptualize projects and actually try to do them. Mm -hmm. And and that was I mean that was like the biggest thing for me is just to because then anytime you're you're working on a skill or a new model um or anything, you know that the sort of end game is this thing that you really love or are really interested in. And for me that was this draft project. Mm -hmm. Um so that was absolutely the way that I learned a lot of what I learned. What do you think it is that the Eagles saw in you to hire you to begin <laughs> with as an intern? And then as an intern, how did you prove your merit inside the organization? I mean, that's an interesting question. We um, can ask Alec. We'll, we'll, we'll compare <laughs> your answer to Alec's answer. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the draft work, there is sort of an obvious, like, like I said, the drafts are very similar. They're both seven rounds there's i think a bigger positional component in the nfl one um so maybe a little more complexity there but um i think if you asked out like he would probably just say he liked the the sort of strategic a aspect of it and mm -hmm. the fact that i mean I, I was trying to go beyond so i think a lot of existing draft research that i'd seen at least um was coming at it from a very like academic sort of top-down perspective of like how good is the league overall let's say mm -hmm. kind of rank ordering these players and, mm -hmm. and seeing how well they'll do and i was curious like okay but if you're a team you don't really necessarily care about that you care about how well your team is going to do mm -hmm. um in relation to all of these other teams and so i think that that perspective is compelling i think like no matter the sport um and then you know, I think uh, like my research skills have served me well um, in the last few months because when you're going into any environment, be it, be it a team or be it not a team, um, they don't want to have to hold your hand mm -hmm. um, in order for you to create value. Mm -hmm. So just being able to conceptualize new research projects essentially and, and stating why I think it has value for the mm -hmm. organization was, I think, really key. Real quickly and very close to the ground, can you tell us what tools you're using, what, what languages you're using, what are the what are the tools of your trade right now? You, you're the next generation. <laughs> so what, This is also an advertisement to future yeah. stat concentrators, but majors, um, and, stat and analysts. And advice to people who are trying to get going in the field. What are the necessary or what, what have you found useful? What are your go-to tools? So <clears throat> every day of my life, I use R. So that 
is unequivocally what I would say. Tidyverse. Uh, I mean, I'm getting particular, but this is a, <laughs> this is a discussion I'm having with my PhD yes, students. Yes, I love I love the tidyverse. Um, in particular, I'm a big fan of ggplot yeah. for data visualization. Um, as Shane is well aware, I care a lot about the way that my graphs look. Yeah. Um, and, well, real quickly, and they're stunningly beautiful. This is, this, this is technical, <laughs> but it matters. So, so this is. I mean, I was listening. We had a. We had a. Namita actually was there. We had a uh, kind of a, a final uh, um, lunch for our uh, undergraduate sort of sp- baseball research seminar that we ran this past year. And so, one of the criticisms I asked, I asked for it was what don't we teach? And the thing that we don't teach is data visualization. Fantastic. I was about to say, this is not just a matter of aesthetics. It's not just making Shane happy with it looks pretty. (laughs) It's understanding your data better. And people are far too quick to go straight to the regression. You need to spend some time looking at your data. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think people just like to build models just for the sake of building models. But, I mean, if you think about regression, what is it? But, like, it's fitting a line. So if you don't see a line to be fit, mm-hmm. you shouldn't fit a line, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so R is your go-to. Yeah. What else? Um, so <clears throat> kind of on the back end uh, for, for data, like SQL mm-hmm. is very, uh, I think, a, a helpful and easy skill to acquire that a lot of... Companies have them. So so when you're at the Eagles, when you were working uh, independently in hockey, you didn't deal with SQL. No. Um, and uh, part of the... Actually, I did to some extent, but part of the reason I didn't was just because I think draft data is on a relatively smaller scale. But I did have like the ability to, to use it for like if I was looking at in-game events or something like that. Um, and then um, I've used Python a little bit, but I think like it's sort of, you know, not an absolute necessity for okay. at least that I've seen right now, but um, it can only help. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of interesting models that um, can potentially be easier to fit in Python or R depending on what they are basically. So, mm-hmm. What's your experience and impressions of statistical analysis in the real world versus in the academic world? So you spent a few months now interning with the Eagles. You've been through the draft process. We're not asking for any hidden secrets on those guys, but in general, <laughs> Like, how different is it for you to go work for Alec than to do a project for Shane? Well, I mean, so I think the biggest thing is the timeline. Um, So, like, the draft was not going to move depending on how far along I was in my analysis, whereas I can email Shane and be like, I'm not going to get this done by (laughs) Friday. And I I can email the journal and be like, can we have another couple weeks on that paper? (laughs) And they'll say yes, yeah. So, I mean, that that is sort of an obvious thing that jumps to mind. And then, you know, with that, I think I've definitely learned that, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. So one thing I will say that the the Mm. graphs that I've made um, at the Eagles have not been as stunningly beautiful as I would like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they have shown what they needed to show. um, And then we sort of move on uh, to something so that like kind of just got to get it done. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but it obviously it does have to be sort of like theoretically and analytically sound and, and all of that. Um, and, and then, like I said, I think, um, the sort of example I gave related to like draft analyses, uh, kind of is really relevant because you know like what's your perspective here is your perspective to just sort of like learn things in in a kind of very descriptive way um, about how these processes work um, in these leagues or is your um, goal to extract excess value Um, and and that leads to to very different perspectives and very different goals and very different like modes of analysis. So what what do you see the NFL? What's the what's the frontier in the NFL, in NFL analytics right now? Where, what's what's the the mar- the greatest value margin teams are are working on? Well, I think I would say that it is the draft, and and I am very like 
biased, obviously, but I mean, I haven't seen. You, no, let's push you on that for just a little bit because if you look at how, now again, I'm going to do one of these league-wide things that you're panning a little bit. But if you look at, <laughs> if you look at the relation between where a guy is drafted and how he performs in the NFL over time. That relation's been basically steady. For 40 years, the draft order correlates, pre- with, the correlates with the performance almost the same. At the same. So at least as a league, the draft order isn't getting any more predictive. And that doesn't indict the league. That is what we like to say is irreducible uncertainty. Are, are we at the limit? Where is the limit and how it's close are we? Yeah, how close are we to just rolling dice at this point? I mean, I I think one thing I I would say is like looking at the ways in which, you know, you would sort of evaluate that value, um, which is difficult for the NFL, um, especially without sort of like player tracking data. Well, I mean, I will have it, but other people won't. Oh, there it is. I hate that. I love it. Let's just just unpack this. I will have that data. But you, looking at me, and you, and Shane, won't have that data. Well, worse, that's what the NFL office has been telling teams for the last couple of years. They're only just now opening up to giving the teams. But Namita's telling us that, well, yeah, fine, but we've got this new rich source of data that's entirely different than anyone's ever had before. Right. And there's real potential there. I will also point out, just to, to comment on your observation that the correlation hasn't changed, that's really the first two rounds. So the NFL draft is seven, and there's... It's only going to be worse later. So, well, the correlation... Actually, the correlation should get, get bigger because there's more variance. The first, so the point is the first two rounds has, has more compressed variance in player quality. So it is an irreducible variance. Well, there's the first a bigger variation a, from 1 to, to 210 than there is from 1 to 60. I'm not sure. That's not necessarily true. More variance with more data? Ex ante, no way, because there's that right tail. Well, this is... Uh, this is ex, now, ex post. So, uh, I'm, 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 I'm making a forecast, <laughs> and we can discuss it. Yeah. This is an over-under. So the forecast, I'm trying to make I a think, forecast of between 1 and... The, forecasting the performance of the, all seven rounds is going to be... Um, will have more information in it. Than the uh, than the first six. I, th- I think we're probably going to have to hash this out for the last half hour of the show. But before, while we still, while we still have Namita, I want to hear about your perspective on the playoffs or the NHL playoffs right uh, now. Yes. NHL back to NHL. And, like, that's the, just I mean, like three people think about this. And and so uh, I think um, I mean I, I'm pretty excited about the series that are going on right now, especially that Capitals Penguin series. Yes. Do you, uh, I mean I know you're. <laughs> oh, she's a Cap Caps fan, right? Well, no. Every, every, everybody's a Caps fan right now. I think the Penguins are basically little, the Patriots of the NHL. This so. is a little goof uh, that I like to play. So, I mean, so one of the things that makes me very happy, I will say, in, in a very genuine note, um, is that um, while I am sort of working in football, I can say not much about that. Um, I'm free to continue, like, hockey work and, and talking about that publicly and trying to advance that, which I think um, is really sort of compelling to me and, and really one of the things that I look forward to continue doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that note, one of the things I look forward to continue doing is root against the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> How come? What's, 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 the, what's the hate? I don't. I, this is only a show that runs until 10 a.m. Like, yeah. I don't have time to like, <laughs> unpack that. Um, but so that is why I'm, I'm technically a Cavs fan now, because they are playing uh, in the second round. Uh, one thing, I mean, that some people are very angry about and some people are sort of not that angry about is the fact that uh, in the Western and Eastern conferences, you do have the top two teams playing each other now right. yeah. rather than in the next round. The lack of reseeding is very odd, I think, yeah. as a playoff structure. But so I have, I think, a, a sort of like higher level take on this, which is like 
who cares because the playoffs itself are an institution built on like unfairness because the whole point is to take everything that happened in the regular season 82 games of hockey where the best team did establish themselves and be like okay we're gonna do some series and see who gets the Mm -hmm. stanley cup Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i mean i think at the point at which you're accepting that um, you have to sort of accept that like seating and like other weirdness will happen. And like, I and, don't know. And I actually kind of like it, too, in the sense that, I mean, if, if I had a top team, I would probably dislike it because it's sort of, you know, I mean, right. It, it's the whole point. The one of the, one of the outcomes, whether it's the intent, one of the outcomes of that kind of structure is there's more randomness, therefore, to who gets paired up and, and therefore who advances in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of nice. I mean, we. You know, I, 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 I over-belabor this point, but every week I come in, I'm like, well, it's going to be LeBron against the Golden State Warriors or Houston, right. the finals, the NBA, and I'm going to be right. And I've been <laughs> right for like four years. You, you want the and NBA. That does, you would prefer the NBA, not Reese, just to add some randomness to it. Yeah, I mean, I think probably there's enough kind of built in structurally to the game of basketball that makes it, you know, inherently less random than hockey. But uh, but I think, yes, the NBA could do more to promote kind of randomness in the playoffs if they wanted that. Let's play shorter games, shorter yeah. series. They used to play five-game series yeah. early on. Yeah, right? and, 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 and like, the NHL, when I was gro- growing up, well, the first round of the NHL was only a five-game series mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, Namita, what else do you pay attention to in the playoffs? So this is the other end of the season for you. It's not the draft, but like what? Who, who other than pulling against the pens, what do you care about <laughs> right now? I mean, so one of the, the most interesting storylines, um, I was like, I hope they don't ask about this, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because I guess it's just too weird not to talk about, is the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and their kind of historic, beautiful run. As an People team. should be yes. talking more about this. That an expansion <laughs> well, team earlier, looks like yeah. a Stanley Cup favorite. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And Is this because of the structure of the availability of yeah. players that they managed to acquire? I mean, we can sort of retroactively say that that's the case, but the honest-to-God truth is at the time of the expansion draft, and I like watched it and remember everyone talking about it, everyone thought that this was going to be a team that was just going to be a bottom feeder in the NHL. Mm -hmm. So based on the picks, and and so I will say that people knew that they were getting like a few good players. So there were some players, I think James Neal comes to mind, uh, even sort of Marcheseau, um, from the Panthers, uh, they knew that there were some teams that were sort of cap-strapped enough that like they could get some good players, they got some great picks, but one of the things about picks in the NHL is you don't see those players pan out for at least two to three years mm-hmm. uh, in most cases. Um, so, but I think f- for this team, you know, after the fact of the expansion draft, you sort of thought that the best-case scenario was like in a few years, once those picks pan out, like they could start to contend for the playoffs. So what's your explanation? This is like one of the strangest things, uh, which is that I've talked to a lot of people about this and like everyone's explanation is like they play really hard, which is even sort of people who, you know, live and die by analytics. Um, And and if you watch them, they're a very fast team. They don't let you breathe at all. Um, But. I mean, I guess there is um, an argument for, like, building a team off of spite, which is that, like, every... (laughs) Every single person on that team was not wanted by their team. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, ah, we'll show them all. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that certainly hasn't been the case in previous expansion sort of situations, but... Yeah, who knows? It doesn't work in baseball. It it could actually also be, I mean, the biggest explanation besides just sort of working hard is, is, could just be randomness. It could be, but is it? Do you think it's safe? Is it is it safe? Is it is it possible that 
that hockey is the sport of the four major ones that has the biggest return to effort? Oh, that's an interesting Ooh. question. I'm going to claim that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Can you, can you just toss this out? So let's say that let's say that the hockey players on this team, the, the, the expansion Vegas team, are playing 50% harder <laughs> than the average NHL player. And then let's ask the impact of that versus the impact if the name of bad team it's in baseball certainly the, bad team I mean, in basketball I mean it's it's un, it's un, you know unambiguously the fastest moving kind of uh, sport but you're also so. saying that the other teams don't play hard well, no, I'm saying if you were, I think he's saying they, they're not max all the time. This yeah. is they're humans. Yeah. yeah, to the extent that teams differ yeah. in their amount yeah. of the effort, extent. if it's true, um, it, teams, it translates more into kind of an outcome in hockey I've than got other that sports. For sure, I've got that hypothesis. It has to be either hockey or basketball, and yeah. I'm going to say. Because you have to shoot a basketball versus just beat a puck around. <laughs> well, here's, if, if there's any, if there's that's any, that's not fair. I know. Beat a so. puck around. I know can, can, I, can I toss out a couple of well, in, you can't information? Run, you can't run people over in basketball, as his, <laughs> as so and so from the Heat learned last yeah. week. Well, let me let me throw out two pieces of information to confirm that. So, if you rank the four major sports in terms of greatest home field advantage, the two are number one is hockey, and then it's a. Uh, and you think that's related to, to effort? effort? I think it's returned to effort. That's interesting. We've got, we've got. There's, mm-hmm. we can learn this. Maybe, well, the player tracking stuff is some way to tack, tap into effort. So, Namita, by the way, something I've always wanted to know that we want player tracking information on players in regular season hockey games, playoff hockey games, playoff game sevens, and then playoff game seven overtime. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> we want, we want, we want overtime player tracking data from the NHL just to see the change in effort, and it's gonna, it's gonna show how much yep. up. How much ceiling there actually is on effort beyond beyond the average. So, I mean, hopefully uh, the NHL does get on that and, and at least disseminates that information, t- like gets that started because, um, I mean, I think they are definitely the league that's lagging behind. Yeah. Right, uh, right. And, and, with, and with so much potential. Fantastic. We're going to go to break now. Thank you, Namita Nandakumar. Namita, it's been delightful to have you in the studio. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. That's Namita Nanda Kumar. She's a graduating Wharton senior going to work for the Philadelphia Eagles in their analytics department. A strong department already, not to get stronger. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.